And now, beginning our service, I will ask you all to stand, and we will proclaim the unchanging manifestation. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And Lord, stand on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present the service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Ooh. 
Святой Иисус, Святой Иисус, 
Oh, 
Стой ты со мной быть на брачном перу, 
И он скажет, войдите, наследники неба. Вы достойны со мной быть на мрачном миру. Посадить миллионы воскреснут на Боге, Чтобы вместе живыми блистать пред судом. Самый храбрый воскликнет пред Богом великим. Вся земля возрыдает пред грозным Христом. Самый храбрый воскликнет пред Богом великим. Вся земля возрыдает пред грозным Христом. Приближается день Твой, Господь всемогущий, Когда все народы придут пред Тобой, Затрубит громогласно Архангел трубою, Собирает народы от края до края земли, Затрубит громогласно Архангел If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths and the riches of the knowledge of God. Matthew 5, 45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. The spiritual horizon is becoming red for the entire religious world and only for the small flock is it a joy. For the rest it is a problem. The hell, the hell's already feel this or experienced this, but for the people of God, for this not to be fear, uh, something bad or negative, but a joy, it is necessary for us to be in accordance to the demands of our Heavenly Father, His perfection. I will continue the sermon called, called to Perfection. This is a promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations. And this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to His students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to 
to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue, and in part we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets in which we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life that is the service of justification which so that we provide God basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4 13 the thing is that the Protestant churches, Catholics, uh, Pentecostal, they, Orthodox, they uh, do not understand the scriptures they read with their heart. And so everything is concentrated on earning salvation to plead uh, with God to do something to be saved. I spoke with one pastor. I was a guest in his house. He was a Pentecostal pastor. He looked at me and said, Brother, what is it that we need to do to be saved? What do we need to do to be saved? And I, I told him, You're a pastor. You should know this and tell others. And he said, Well, who knows this? the truth. People, they don't know, and yet they uh, say that the, the pen, that the Orthodox churches are idol worshippers. But if you are not an idol worshipper, why is it that you not know how to be saved? People say, we know, we need to fast, we need to pray, we need to cover our head uh, with a with a veil, uh, clothing needs to be according to instruction, and then I asked the brother, what about your clothing? You say sisters need to have rules. One man told me, tell my wife that she not put on the dress she wears. And I said, why don't you like this dress? It's uh, appropriate. And she, he said, it's too fashionable. And I told him, what about you? He had a sweater. And he had a design on it, and I said, what do you have on your man? Why is it you have a sweater on that looks nice on you, that looks appropriate, and you uh, try to dress well? Why is it you try to forbid your wife? Second, you need to know that I don't give people verdicts, and I don't rule over them to tell them to take the dress off or, or not wear it. I just uh, uh, give instruction of what is appropriate and what isn't. We note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God.
This means that we need to listen to our husbands within the boundaries of God's faith because often husbands absolutely do not understand their role. They think that they're on a level higher, a social level or status higher, and they begin to demand from their wives whatever comes to mind, even to the point where I tell you to plant upside down, then plant the flowers upside down and so forth. Demands, and the church uh, defends this kind of action. Yes, women need to obey their husbands as the church obeys Christ. And when one woman was crying, and, and one sister, uh, my husband forced me to uh, uh, take out the potatoes that I planted and make them... Uh, 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 and, and make soup out of it uh, and instead and it wasn't ready but yet he was supposed to chew uh, and so the pastor was uh, or the, the husband was mocking her during this time and the pastor instead of uh, giving proper instruction told the woman, this is a difficult matter, I need to discuss it with the brotherly council. And he then said, to me, called me, uh, or this woman, the sister called me, and she says, I, I've been broken in this church, and I don't know what to do. And then I called then this pastor and I asked him, this is the stuff that, the, everything that she had told me about the story or situation. And so he said, we were speaking with the brothers and uh, decided that as the church obeys Christ and all, the wife needs to obey her husband. And so if the brother had, and the brothers decided, he said in the church, that if the husband tells his wife to plant upside down, then she needs to do it. And she was ashamed in front of the entire church and the husband would continue to sing and mock her. I then told, uh, told this pastor, I'm going to ask you a question. Or if I told, uh, and, and I was speaking to the sister as well, if your husband told you to lay with his friend, would you? And she said, hallelujah, I understood everything. But if I tell the brothers, they would say, no, you can't do this. You can plant upside down if your husband tells you, but you can't commit this kind of act. The church is so clueless uh, about the right things uh, how the church obeys Christ and I said to the sister how does the church obey Christ she doesn't obey him that whatever anyone says this is what the Lord says the, the scriptures say if the prophets tell you but it's not in the Bible you need to stone this kind of so called prophet and not listen to such a prophet and do not fear such a prophet 
the church is obedient to Christ within the boundaries of God's commandments, and wives need to obey only within the boundaries, and the children to parents and members of the, uh, in the church, their pastor, and workers or employees at work to, to their supervisor. If someone's asking something of you that is unwise and you don't agree with, it appears unwise to you, maybe it's wise, but it appears to you that it is not reasonable or wise, then you don't need to do it. The husband then needs to go into his own room and pray to God and present to God the situation that I've presented this as a, a good decision or a good idea and the Lord will then reveal to the wife if this is correct, if the correct thing to do. And so in this way we need to understand the righteousness of faith is in the faith of God and God's faith is not emotions is from hearing the word of God or hearing the word of God faith is from hearing the word of God and so the promise of peace is only given to those men that are obedient to the order of God and have clothed themselves into the virtue of students which allows them to be obedient to God and so the covenant of peace within the heart of man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones in a specific format we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign and this is the ability to clothe your essence into the holy and selective love of God as I say selective love means holy if I just say holy then the tolerant uh, majority in the churches don't under, will understand it because the tolerant majority when it's holy they don't understand God, they say uh, God loves everyone in general, but holy is something that is separating or, or selective. He loves only his church, only his children. Just like you take care of your children and not your neighbor's children, you love your children and you will protect your children from the children's, children of your neighbor. And you won't distribute your uh, income to spend it on your neighbor's children as well as your own. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, in which you also were called in one body and be thankful Colossians 3 14 15 according to this place of scripture the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible upon one condition and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God and for this you need to be grown in love and oftentimes people ask Lord give me love give me love God doesn't give love he doesn't give love. He gives it as a response to your love. If you can imagine a wife that would tell her husband, you know, I don't have love for you, but give me love. I don't have love, and or a husband would demand such a thing. It's foolish. God's love is a response to the love of a man toward him. God has done everything that he can be 
loved by you. He has done everything for a man so that you can fall in love with him. God has revealed to his people who he is. The things that are unseen, we see even in his creation. When people go to a museum and look at a painting and they see this beautiful painting and this work of art and they know that there was someone who painted it or, or drew it and if it's a drawing and same thing here when they look at the mountains the hills the stars the flowers they need to see someone great who made them and need to fall in love with God to seek him will they not find him although he's not far that's what it says in scripture and so God gives his love to us he gave his only begotten son he had proven his love why is it that you ask God for love God has already loved you look he loves you he waits from you love as a response but you're saying Lord give me love give me love in the selective love of God which is the atmosphere of the peace of God we see concealed the good wonderful eternal and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and exclusively with his children in scripture the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in scripture by the preached word of the Apostles and prophets in the form of seven unchanging elements these are virtue knowledge self-control perseverance godliness brotherly kindness and love written in second Peter 1 2 through 8 all of these together are the nature of Christ his character the nature of the Heavenly Father each of the seven qualities of the fruits of virtue are one in the other and contain the characteristics of one the other they flow one from the other complete one the other strengthen one the other and confirm the truthful nature of one the other Second, these qualities, these seven characteristics are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and an example inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities presented in the seven characteristics are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich. In what way are we becoming rich in this? We hear the word of God, we un understand it, its identification, and we begin to confess these treasures as our own and thank God for them. And when we do this, then he takes these words and clothes us into these treasures. You can't just experience God's love if you don't begin to thank God for what he already gave you and not base what is going on from what you feel but what you know because faith comes to you not through emotion but information. Faith is from hearing the word of God and when you receive this information in your spirit you you receive it you then begin to rejoice and this joy needs to be proclaimed in your words your confessions if you won't the seed will die it needs to be confirmed it needs to be established through confession
to go in to and receive the these seven qualities we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life the means we are to use to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God God's faith is information that comes from God our faith is obedience to the faith of God humility it's rare that any people understand that there's God's faith and a person's faith and these are two different things but they need to work together one faith is the perfecter of our faith and there's a second faith which is the warrior that obeys the captain seventh by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit we become part of God's divine nature which is why the confessions of the faith of our heart become equal in power to the faith that, that, that the words that come out of God's mouth since the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism is greedy and is just temporary it is the power of the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe the earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person and destroy the stronghold of death and all this needs to happen here on earth the bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes and goals of a man at the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and selfish egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God, and there are many of them. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. Here it's talking about the measure of God's love, how he loved us, and God requires that we love him in the same way. If a person will not love God as he loves, as God has loved this person, he will not be able to look God in the face. He will be destroyed before God's face. And God will not show his face to this person. The measure of the love of God is identified by in scripture and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. Hatred and love are equal. The greater you will love God, the more you will hate lawlessness and evil. You cannot love righteousness 
and hate lawlessness abstractly. These are programs. They cannot demonstrate themselves out of a programmable system. A programmable system is the heart of a man, and we are able to love righteousness only in carriers of righteousness and hate lawlessness only in carriers of this lawlessness. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1, 9. This is taken from the 43rd Psalm. And it's not just talking about these programs, but the carriers of these programs. The, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. You see, God loves one, hates the other. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. And so upon the wicked the sun will shine as a fire to burn them. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5-7 Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we are able to demonstrate God's perfection in his reaction toward the righteous who perform good and the unrighteous who perform lawlessness. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father so we can shine the light of our Son upon the just and the unjust and pour out our reigns according to God's intentions upon the righteous for good and the unrighteous to punish them. Considering, therefore, that these seven qualities of virtue, identifying the selective love of God, do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon in any dictionary of the world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart, the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses and its ability to foreknow and predestine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed Many people do not know there's a theologian that had appeared uh, in the Middle Ages that had a false interpretation of the truth and that all are condemned and that God foreknew and predestined. So he took this place of scripture and misinterpreted it before he foreknew uh, for whom he foreknew as it's written God foreknew them who will go and follow his way and who will not God is omnipresence he is at the same time existing and present in the past uh, the past present and future and in the future there's and so all is as real time for him and God sees the past and the future as real time and before the creation of us he saw how we will react to his truth when we, he we will hear the truth and when he saw that the one will love the truth and others will hate the truth those are the ones who hear the truth and love it and receive it will pay the appropriate price for it he has foreknown and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so the destruction of men or the salvation of man is not dependent on God but dependent on man a person decides whether he saves 
he is saved or whether he is not saved. By the words of a man, he is justified or condemned. What you will confess with your mouth is what will happen to you. You'll say, I will confess that I'm saved. But if you in your heart did not receive this salvation and confess it that you're saved, then this is a crime. You are deceiving God and yourself. You are stating what is not existing in your heart. You take the words of the Bible and say that they're yours. When it will be in your heart first, you need to receive it. And to receive it, you need to be a student. You need to accept it upon God's conditions and only after that confess it. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8.29. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects, and never allows her own, as it says, I stand at the door and knock, and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated, these boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God and the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Therefore, God has done all of this by his church, that it be made known to the principalities in heaven all the many wisdom of God. God has done all of this by his church. He does not do this independent from his church. God can't do anything on earth without a programmable system because the seed is a program. It needs to be received, and when the seed dies, this program will begin to act. And so you need the heart of a man, you need a programmable system, and so for the heart of a man there's a great battle between the powers of darkness and powers of light. This battle is these two programmable systems. There's a programmable system that we received from Adam, this is the old person. But when we're born again, we then our new person, our new sacred person is born, and he has the program of God, and these two programs within our heart, they, when they see each other, they begin to battle, because these are two absolutely different programs, opposite of each other, and then in our bodies, there is a war going on, which is why many people suffer and say, what is, is it that's going on inside me? The good that I want to do, I can't do. I want to, but I can't do. And when I, when I do it, Paul says, when people say, oh, thoughts are coming into my mind, and the thoughts, these evil thoughts that go in your mind, that are in your mind, and occult thoughts and the devil says These, this is you who thinks and then I ask a person do you want to think this way and you say no then it's not you who's thinking but someone who's trying to put these into your mind if you don't want this but the thoughts are coming then that means it's not you Paul says the good that I want to do I'm not, I can't do but the evil that I don't want to do I am doing 
And he says, then who is this? If I don't want it, this is the old person that's doing it. So what do you do? And the scriptures say what to do. Consider yourself dead to sin, living for God, and proclaim the non-existent as existent. And when you confess these things, God will take your confessions and will clothe them into these garments of justification. By demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite gender. In some churches, I know there are such churches in America they have the rule or the requirements how long the dress needs to be uh, down to the centimeter if one is all taller or short it's still a little, it's a challenge but in their church they have a a specific uh, measurement or I remember in the church they used to say you can't uh, a, a man can't can have only one button uh, open on his shirt and not more and so I to be holy I would button up even the very last one but when I became older I began asking questions I asked a brother why we can't, can't we unbutton two he says because the hair that a woman sees and I said, okay. And he said, they're, uh, they're tempted. I personally was embarrassed of my hair and, and uh, on my chest, and I covered it. And the brother said, women are... Uh, and so I thought, either something wrong with him or wrong with me. You understand the foolishness uh, that people... Uh, paid attention to in the church it's written in the in the Bible you need to dress properly uh, there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God and his favor toward man and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God for example the godliness of a man is his favor to God his grace for God and his thanksgiving it's his ability this is the grace that he demonstrates to God what is grace one of the definitions of the words grace is thanksgiving and so there's the grace of man and there's the grace of God and when it says and we all received grace for grace in some of the translations there it's written that we've received grace upon grace which isn't the proper interpretation or translation of the of the original where grace for grace is the correct uh, wording we received his grace for the grace that we have draw near to me and I will draw near to you to draw near to God means to demonstrate your favor to him if you draw near to me then I also will show you my favor and so it's not grace upon grace but grace for grace as the original states when translators had translated in the uh, Greek Bible there are words that uh, some can be uh, interchanging as on for and so a per, uh, translator needs to 
understand the meaning to write it correctly, and oftentimes there are uh, things uh, or certain words that are used that are not the ones in the original. which changes the meaning and so when you look in the Greek original and you see what's written you'll be able to see the the essence of the of the phrase and so the godliness of a man is the ability to visit the fatherless and the widow in their hardship and keep yourself from being defiled by the world the godliness of a man is imitating Christ and meditating about the things of the hills and to imitate Christ directly a person can't but he can't doesn't see him, but he sees the person whom God has placed in the church to represent Christ. This is the pastor of the church. And so Paul says, imitate me as I do Christ and those with me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If the pastor can't say these words, then he shouldn't be in his position. The godliness of a man is the ability to seek God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God as a response to God, so it's God's uh, uh, favor as a response to that of man. His goodness, his favor, and his grace toward man as a response to the favor and grace of a man toward him. His mercifulness toward man, his thanksgiving, his good and work and good acts, his kindness in the absolute sense of the word. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well that conflicts with and resists the true form of godliness amongst the nation of God. And we are very well known, uh, uh, familiar with it, having the uh, look of godliness, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Second. Timothy 3.5, where when you, if you say uh, you need to love everyone, and then you read this place of scripture, and from such people turn away. How do you explain that then? I often say to these people, and so these people that are uh, liberal in, in mind, Uh, they are the ones that all also defend the uh, homosexuals and other minorities. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our good, our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. Relevant to this fact, we stop to study one of the signs in question four, by which we need to determine as to whether we are a cloud of the Most High. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds and scatters as something that can be poured out. They swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Listen to this, so Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Job 37, 11 through 16. 
in balance means that when all of the elements, all the fruits are in balance, when knowledge is not greater than, say, uh, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness is not greater than love, they are all in balance, they're all equal. Dispatching his clouds for correction or for his land or for mercy according to his will means to be a carrier of the favor and punishment of the one that is perfect in knowledge. This is one of the fundamental elements by which we need to examine ourselves as to whether we are collaborating our favor with the favor of God. Therefore consider the goodness, Apostle Paul writes, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. If there is severity, then this is not tolerant love on those who fail severity, not to the world again, <coughs> but to those who fell. God does not have severity toward the world, just so you know. God, the world doesn't know him. The world needs light so that they can see and make a decision. They have not made this decision, the world, because there's not enough light. Here it says, on those who fell, severity, those who, be, who were holy and then became wicked, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. God is not unjust. Demonstrating God's goodness toward one and his severity toward the other, we become carriers of his justice within his holiness. The phrase, do you know, when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine, indicates the fact that not all clouds are able to be clouds that God dispatches and causes the light of his shine, but only those clouds which provides God a basis so that they contain his moisture in themselves. This is confirmed by another place of scripture. He binds up the water in his clouds, his clouds and not others, or foreign clouds. Yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the, fa the face of his throne and spreads out his cloud over it. And so again, he spreads out his clouds over his throne. And to differentiate the clouds of the Most High in the form of the saints that fear God from profane to his nature clouds in the form of pseudo-saints that do not have in themselves the fear of the Lord, it is necessary first to know that our ability to provide God the basis to fill us with his moisture and our readiness to scatter his light and direct it according to his guidance is our function. By fulfilling this function, we demonstrate our favor to God. When we give God, we open our heart and we provide God the ability, the Holy Spirit, the ability so that this favor pour in. When a person of God preaches his word, this is God's goodness, this is God's due. Take a pot and place it upward and when the rain comes, it will be in that pot. But if you put it upside down, however much rain may pour down, it will be empty. All will depend on whether you open your heart or not, whether you prepare your heart to listen to God's word when you go to church. To prepare means to be a student, to uh, be in the state of a student and say, Lord, I'm going to church. I have a problem. I have a question or difficulty I'm dealing with, answer my questions. And then you listen and you'll receive those responses. But if you come as an inspector and you control, sometimes when people can't find uh, a meaning, 
or they're not finding a way to question something that is being spoken, they then begin to uh, try to find flaws in spelling or a pronunciation of something. Paul said about himself that he is not knowledgeable in the world in the in the word being a person of study uh, he still sometimes would pronounce maybe something that wasn't exact rarely can a professional uh, be absolutely perfect in any language either Russian English or any language whatsoever each one has its own uh, way of pronunciation and sometimes when you change the wording it may mean a little bit different differently, sometimes the same word may have many different meanings as well. You will use a specific word and uh, the way that you use it within a sentence, it will then mean something completely different depending on how you're using it. We need to always look at the meaning. Sometimes there may be a specific uh, word that isn't uh, pronounced maybe correctly or stated correctly, as but a person is not 100% uh, accurate. There's no one that exists that is 100% accurate to even teach language still make mistakes because by habit they may have caught that from someone or or if someone pronounced something incorrectly and you laughed at it and then you notice you yourself are saying it the same way that's how ha that happens too in order to differentiate the clouds of the most high from those that are pseudo saints we need to know the difference and so linked to these uh, to the subject we needed to study a series of questions what virtue do the scriptures give the cloud of God what purpose does the cloud of God fulfill what conditions do we need to fulfill so that God establish us as his clouds and by what signs do we determine that we are truly the clouds of the most high in the New Testament the meaning consisting in the purpose of being a cloud of God is laconically presented in the fall Following words, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. Romans 8:14. Because these clouds, if there will not be a wind, then they will stay in one place. This wind allows them to move. But there are different winds, winds of deception that carry uh, these empty clouds to and from. But there are God, there's God's wind, the Holy Spirit that actually. Uh, directs these clouds to where they need to go and pour out their moisture. If we are not in accordance to God's clouds that are able to be filled with His moisture and scatter His light for the purpose of correcting one and demonstrating mercy upon another, then our sonhood needs to be seriously questioned. When it talks about clouds that lack moisture, who are tossed to and from by all kinds of deceptive teachings that are profane to God,
God, we have been studying the category of people located within the Church of Saints that do not have the Spirit of the Lord and resist the Spirit of the Lord. We've been looking at the cloud of the Most High as the category of saints that are led by the Holy Spirit by the means of their new person, created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus and righteousness and holy truth. And this means that the clouds of the Most High can only be those saints that have grown into a full measure of growth in Christ and are in accordance to the demands of perfection that is inherent to God. We've noted that the clouds of the Most High that are within God's possession is a symbol of His great mystery and is called to fulfill a vital role in the work of our adopting and redeeming of our body from the law of sin and death. In Scripture, the cloud of the Most High is a symbol of the glory of God, the place where God abides, the clothes into which God dresses, and the midst from which the Lord speaks. In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we already looked at the first three questions and will continue to study the fourth question by what signs do we need to determine that we are the clouds of the Most High in the previous services we studied the essence of the first five signs and therefore will immediately begin to study the sixth sign which is our ability to provide God legitimate reason to protect us from the enemy that lives within our body he bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet and he rode upon a cherub and flew he flew upon the wings of the wind he made darkness a secret place, this canopy around him was dark waters and a thick cloud of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightning in abundance, and he vanquished them. Psalm 18, 9 this is a battle that the Heavenly Father leads for our bodies in uh, in our bodies for our bodies. This one of the strokes capturing the epic battle that is called to happen within our body for the adopting of our body by the redemption of Christ. And such a battle for the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ needs to happen only upon one condition, and that is if we allow the Holy Spirit to form us into the virtue of a cloud of the Most High by the power of which God will receive proper basis to destroy the stronghold of death in our body so that He can erect the stronghold of life in its place within our body. According to the revelation of Scripture, in our body we discover many waters of death and their st strong current entice and carry us away into hell in the form of our old person with his deeds who is powered by the stronghold of death that has formed within our body by the holiness of the law given to us by God to live. I would not have known sin except through the law, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, uh, revived and I died, and the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Romans 7, 7 through 12. Through 12. 
the stronghold of death again was formed due to God's holiness, the holiness of his commands. Considering the activity of these actions in the body of a man and the deliverance of the body of man from the power of darkness in the form of the old person with his deeds, the phrase, he bowed down the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet, in Hebrew means he cast his net and drew up the old person who trusts upon the stronghold of death and has concealed the strategy of his feet in darkness of the unapproachable light. The one that trusts upon the stronghold of death and draws energy from it is our old person. He is he in the position of a leader of the organized powers of darkness and his house is our body. The nets of the Most High is delivering our body from the power of darkness. That is from the power of, old, of our old person is our confessions. The word of promise that belongs to the door of our hope abiding within our heart in the form of the faith of God received by us by the instruction of faith. Dark waters and thick clouds of the sky is the state and atmosphere of the human heart that is cleansed from dead works, which contains two great lights that stand before God of all the earth. These are the truth of the elementary teachings of Christ and the Holy Spirit who reveals explains this truth in the heart. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you, Exodus 31.6. The feet of the Most High, covered in darkness of his unapproachable light, in which he, he likes to dwell, is the strategy of his way that is uh, to the place by him goal, which is to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ, which is concealed within our heart in the format of parables, revelations, allegories, and events that have passed. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings of old. Parables, symbols, and allegories concealed in the revelations and wordage of the prophets is the language of God and the manner in which he communicates with his nation, which is not available or accessible to the category of the called persons, who are a, unable to do and are not <coughs> willing to hear the language of God within their heart. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him more will be given, and he, who, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, for I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which they say, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull, their ears are heard are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Looking at these phrase, for the hearts of these people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, we conclude that our ability to hear the preached word of truth within our heart completely depends on the state of our heart. The heart of this people have grown dull is a heart that is cleansed or that is that is unclean or that is not cleansed from dead works, not able to incline its ear and listen to the word of God, because such a heart always has its own point of view and its own interpretations of the truth, or more accurately perversions of all the truth to benefit their popularity and their greed. The phrase, he bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet, and he rode upon the cherub and flew, he flew upon the wings of the 
the wind, he made darkness a secret place and canopy around him with dark waters and thick clouds of the skies as an image of the battle of our Heavenly Father so that he can adopt our body by the redemption of Christ which happens directly in our body. Independent from the ability of our, of our imagination, our mind is powerless to see the battle within our body for our body together with our Heavenly Father as a leader who sits upon the cherubim and flies upon the wings of the wind in order to deliver us from our enemies in the form of our old person who is stronger than us. Upon practice, the means that with uh, this means that within our visible physical body belonging to the three states identified as the past, present, and future, in a miraculous way we discover a fourth realm in the might and rule of the eternal and unseen. The one in control is God over the visible three uh, levels of the physical states. In this way, in this way, in this excerpt, in the given allegory within our body, we see the dark water and the thick clouds of the sky in which the Lord desires to dwell, also the cherubims upon which the Lord seats uh, sits himself and mysterious winds riding upon its wings and the darkness of waters and the clouds of the sky in which God sits upon the cherubims of glory. We see that these surpri that these surprisingly or surprising beings are present there where God himself is and demonstrates his glory. The purpose of these cherubims, unlike the other angels who as God's messengers are given different instructions, these are to cover the uh, cover with themselves the presence of God, which upon practice means stand guard of His holiness. They stand guard of God's holiness. The first that we read of cherubims is when God commanded them to guard the Garden of Eden and the and the way to the tree of life. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubims at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis 3.24 A similar symbolic role of the cherubims we see when uh, they are as protectors of the Ark of the Covenant. The lid of the Ark is a visible foundation of the invisible throne of grace or mercy seat. Inside the inner sanctuary he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. Imagine the heights is of the cherubim is five meters in height. One wing of the cherubim was five cubits and the other wing of the cherubim five cubits. The wings were uh, pretty much five, ten meters in, in length. Ten cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other, and the other cherub was ten cubits. Both cherubims were of the same size and shape. The height of the cherub was ten cubits, and so it was the other. So it was with the other cherub. Then he sat the cherubims inside the inner room, and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wings of the one touched one, the one wall, and the wings of the other cherub touched the other wall, and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. He also overlaid the cherubim with gold. 1 Kings 6:23 through 28. Contrary to the angel that appeared as men, that angels that appeared as men, always described as wings, as winged beings. The exception of the angel that flew through the midst of the heavens in Revelations, in the text, as in the image of a flying eagle. In the Greek it said as a flying eagle. In the vision of Prophet Ezekiel, the cherubims, unlike the angels that are in appearance of people, who walk on legs like the legs of a bull. Imagine a cherubim that walks as a bull walks. 
Each one has four faces. There's the four faces that of, a, of a man and eagle, and they all were turned in four different directions. Each of the four cherubims was Pernish walking in the direction of its face. How is it that the same cherubim can go in four different directions at the same time, having these four faces? And the entire body of the cherubim, the body was full of eyes. This is not something that can be imagined with the mind, obviously. How is it that an individual uh, cherubim would be able to walk in four different directions? But this is not possible, of course, for our imagination. But for our new person that, like this cherubim, is also simultaneously moving in four different directions to the appointed by God goal for the purpose of adopting our body by the redemption of Christ. And when I looked, there were four wheels by the uh, by the cherubim, one wheel by one cherub and another wheel by each other, uh, each other cherub. The wheels appeared to have the color of barrel stone. As for their appearance, all four looked alike. Imagine, imagine God's throne in this cloud and it was moving in four directions. As it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel, when they went, they went toward any of their four directions. They did not turn aside when they went, but followed in the direction the head was facing. They did not turn aside when they went, and their whole body with their back, their hands, their wings, and their wheels that the four had were full of eyes all around. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing wheel. Each one had four, four faces, the first face was the face of a cherub, the second face the face of a man, the third face of a lion, and the fourth face of an angel. <clears throat> and so understanding this vision literally, of course, would be unwise. Any uh, allegory or revelation that the Lord shows uh, in, in this kind of image is something as an allegory that presents in our body as an armor of light. This is the unique language of God, the true essence of which can be revealed only to those saints whom the Lord has foreknown before the creation of the world and gave them the power uh, to be his fathers in churches. And so the pride and arrogance of the human mind trying to understand the mysterious language of God where there's all these different sacrifices and these angels, these, uh, this hard heart of man has created many different new gods that don't exist. The darkness of waters and thick clouds of the sky within our bodies, the state of our heart that is cleansed from dead works with the brought into them Urim and Thummim, that is the teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit that reveals the teaching that's in the heart, which is the house of God where the Lord desires to dwell. The cherubims upon which God sits within our body that is covered with the dark waters <clears throat> is the fruits of our godliness that are demonstrated in holiness. A cherubim is God godliness and holiness if in heaven these uh, angels they cover they cover God's presence then within our body that a cherubim is our character the fruit of our spirit 
Every one of us can go and look at, you could, uh, at the definition of cherubim in Hebrew, it means godliness and holiness, having the characters and qualities of the fruits of our spirit. We see this as in the image of these cherubims that the Lord sits upon and uses for, uh, to fight for our body specifically this atmosphere the fruit, this fruit of our spirit our godliness is a person that, that, that fears God that's another definition of the word cherubim also fearing God the word Gilgal means a, cir- uh, a circle of stone a wheel something moving from within the following phrases and before light, the, before his greatness as it is written that he had sent down his arrows to destroy them, these are the symbol of the confessions of the faith of God that abide within our heart in the format of the promise that belongs to the door of our hope that the Holy Spirit uses as to battle for our body to adopt them by the redemption of Christ the concluding phrase he stretched out his hand and pulled me from many waters he delivered me from my enemy who was mightier than I and the one talks about our deliverance from the old person and so evidence that we are built into and formed into the cloud of the most high is the confessions of the faith of God that abide within our heart that gives us the right to be the cloud of the most high so we can be led by the Holy Spirit amen we are going to pray and those who desire to resist any kind of dependence any sin to prepare themselves to take part in this great mystery you can come out here and we will pray for you God is faithful to his word and the service of justification consists in a person when he acknowledges a sin for which a price is already paid he comes just to take what is already paid by the blood of the Son of God confesses his sins and receives justification and this is not in motions this is information you receive this information and you can freely then take uh, this communion and it will be a blessing in life to you let us bend our knees and pray Amen. I'm going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He's not against you. He is for you. He has prepared the service of justification for the reason that a person not rely upon his own deeds, upon his actions, upon his own strength, that he voluntarily receive that work of God that God has already done. He already redeemed our bodies from the power of hell. Close your eyes. This is, lift your hands to God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame, with my sin, with my misfortune, with my pain, with my fear, I come to you and I ask you forgive me wash me cleanse me heal my wounds remove my shame I open up my heart I receive your word able to heal me 
capable of destroying the stronghold of death and capable of erecting the stronghold of life. I believe in your word. I love it. It is mine, now and forever. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessings of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you, and may the Lord do his work and his goodness upon you, and may this be fulfilled upon you and your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. I will ask everyone to stand, and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.